Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Hey, thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Uh, we want to let you know that we have a By What Standard one-day conference coming up um, in Orlando, Florida. June 8th, which is the day before the SBC meets June 9th and 10th. And so we want you to plan on joining us there. Uh, we look forward to welcoming in some uh, guys to speak on different themes under By What Standard. We'll have a couple of panel discussions as well. It's going to be a rich time. So we got Tom Pittman, or uh, James Pittman, Tom Buck, that are already signed up. I think uh, Mark, Mark Coppinger working on some speaking. others. Yeah. Yeah, It'll be good. I'm very much looking forward to that time together. And I also want to let you know, for fan members, we have been beefing up the armory. There's all kinds of good resources in there right now. We have a number of By What Standard full episode, full lectures, or full, not lectures, full interviews. interviews that didn't, we did one yeah. with Vody. We did right. one with Mark Coppinger. There's going to be more that's dropping. You did social justice lectures. I did. I, got, I taught a course on social justice for the Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, and we're going to put all those lectures uh, in there as well. I think several of them are already there. Maybe all of them are there now. Yeah, I've only worked through some of that, but I'm looking forward to working through all of that content. So if you're a fan member, you have access to that armory, uh, do check that out and continue to get resourced. Hey, in the first segment here, uh, we have actually a church planter in New York City, in Manhattan, that we're going to be talking to in the next segment. But we figured we'd get started by talking about one of New York City's senators <laughs> who... Goodness gracious, this was all over the news. Chuck Schumer, senator from New York, just went ahead and threatened uh, a couple Supreme Court justices. No, 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 no. He said, I didn't threaten them. You know, I just told him, you better watch out because the whirlwind is coming to you. The whirlwind. You have, I didn't threaten them. No, no, no. I didn't threaten them. Just named them out, pointed at them, did a thumbs down. If you watch the full video, we're going to give you a clip here in just a minute. But if you watch some of it, give a thumbs down to them. I'm just thinking, you know, I've got kids. I've got kids. I've got I've got a 10-year-old and down, and I've got to sit around and help them understand while, why people are outside uh, the Supreme Court building hooping and hollering about murdering their babies yeah. without having to have a doctor do it who has admitting privileges in a hospital 30 minutes away at least. Yeah. I, you know, Let me explain to you, and what, when I do that, when I have to explain it to them is when, when things get clear for me. It's yeah, like, You don't get that. If you don't have a false religion, you don't get to that point right. unless you have you have some kind of blood sacrament going on here. You're going to need to understand the world in which we live and the impulses that people have. And you can call them values and call them all these kind of things. This is crazy. Yeah, and it's it going on right here in our own land. And it, the, the, an additional problem is when Christians don't understand that. And they play to that, or they let that intimidate them by saying, well, yeah, okay, so let's don't call abortion murder. Mm -hmm. Let's don't do that, you know, because if you do that, then, then you're really offending women, you're offending doctors, and and we have ethicists today, Christian ethicists today, right. who are trying to tell us that that's the, how, that's the tone we need to take, rather than the tone of, hey, the Bible says, God says, the God who created you, the God who made people in his image, yeah. the God who creates babies in the womb in his image, says, you shall not murder. That's right. And then, and, and then, and then the beauty is, so you want to minimize it on there, you know, don't call it what it is. No, the beauty is we actually have a hot gospel that says God saves murderers. That's right. That's Amen. What he does. And, and they come into the kingdom through the bloodshed of his son. And I, I think in many ways, the pro-life movement has been played by this secular culture. 
and forced back into this mentality about we don't want to talk so plainly about it. And the result is now that we've had decades since 1973 of millions of babies murdered in the womb legally while Christians have increasingly said, well, you know, it's just, we we want to be sympathetic. We want to be kind hearted. We don't want to speak plainly. No, we need to speak plainly. What's happening here is murder. And for the women that are caught up in that, what you said is true. Jesus Christ came to save murderers. For the doctors caught up in that, Jesus Christ came to save murderers. Let's not downplay the sin or else we're going to downplay the gospel that that's saves right. sinners. That's right. And then and, and, and in some ways Christians do need to wake up to all of the stuff that's going on because there's all there's all there's this dance that happens and you can kind of get used to just the stuff that comes down the mm-hmm. pike. So let's set this clip up. No um, Texas had had a law a while back. Texas legislatures made a law that said it had some certain stipulations that you could only get an abortion mm-hmm. um, if the if the facility had a certain right. level of care, something like a hospital, and then you had to have um, people that had admitting privileges to right. a hospital nearby. That went all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, at, I think during the same time, Louisiana created this bill that was that basically mirrored. I'm sure it has differences, but it mirrored Texas's bill. But the Supreme Court ruled that the Texas state legislature, the rule that they established in Texas was unconstitutional. And so now you've got this other one coming up the pike. Now the Louisiana bill is now before the Supreme Court. So um, is it unconstitutional to have a state require that its citizens only get an abortion at a clinic with a provider of that abortion who has admitting privileges at a hospital nearby? That's yeah. the question. Is it unconstitutional? Yeah. Okay, that's that's where we're at in our land. Right. And we're now going to have the Supreme Court address that. And you would think that the Supreme Court justices, you know, if you've ever watched like a State of the Union, there they are, they're sitting. They don't clap. They don't come in wearing a certain color like some people yep. do. And they don't start hooting and hollering. <laughs> they're supposed to be blind. Nonpartisan. Right. Yeah. Uh, we now have a senator who's supposed to make the laws <laughs> threatening the Supreme Court justices on the steps of the Supreme Court. So watch this clip, and then we'll try to address what Chuck Schumer from New York is doing. Over the last three years, women's reproductive rights have come under attack in a way we haven't seen in modern history. From Louisiana to Missouri to Texas, Republican legislatures are waging a war on women, all women, and they're taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. You won't know what hit you. <laughs> you will reap the whirlwind. Well, that's but, some strong language, man. Yeah, but, you know, he walked that back, and uh, he said, hey, I shouldn't have used the words I used, and I'm from Brooklyn. We speak strong language. Uh-huh. I shouldn't have used the words I did, but I in no way was making a threat. Here, here, here's, what he, here's what he was doing. <laughs> you will pay the price, Gorsuch, in Kavanaugh. That's what he said. So basically what he's saying is, look, the babies are going to pay the price or you're going to pay the price. You choose. Think about his worldview. You choose. You want to step in and try to save these babies? Then you'll pay the price. You stay over there and make the babies pay the price. That's his worldview. Can you, I mean. 
Well, that's the very thing that's happening all the time across the spectrum. I mean, that's the same play that, that we get. Either you're going to go along with us or you're going to pay the price. You know, either you're going to let these things go on and pay the price. And mm-hmm. this, in abortion, it's the children, the innocent babies in the womb, or you're going to pay the price. And what we have happening too far often in Christian circles is men and women saying, we're not willing to pay the price. I know, man. Listen, they're waging a war on women, on all women, he says. Yeah. They're waging a war. I don't know. My wife doesn't feel like anybody's waging a war against her with the issue of abortion. Yeah. What about the unborn women that uh, I think they probably feel like they're having war waged against them because they never get the opportunity to breathe outside their mother's womb. I know this has come about uh, because of the language of rights. I'm reading a fascinating book right now. I've only gotten started in it um, called the, um, the age of entitlement. I think it's Caldwell. I can't remember the last name now, but uh, it's really looking at what happened in the 60s and the inflation of civil rights where they became human rights. And now you have Schumer using that exact same language. They're taking away fundamental rights. Well, no, the right to murder a child in your womb is not a fundamental right. It's not a right that is protected by the Constitution of the United States. And we just need to be willing to say that. Yeah. We need to be willing to say we there are rights that are given to you by God, not by the government. Uh, but those rights do not include the right to murder the baby in your womb. We've yeah. got to rid that kind of thinking so that what Schumer's trying to do here doesn't get to stand. Yeah, the, the Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade made up law. They created law rather than interpreting the law. And now we do have states, and praise God for the brave legislatures. I was just in Oklahoma and heard about uh, one of their legislators who said it is his life's work to end abortion in the state of Oklahoma. And so Oklahoma is now working on a a bill, getting a bill passed that will say, no, we're not going to allow uh, the law of the United States to murder citizens of Oklahoma. And praise God for that kind of thinking. We need more of that. But especially among Christians. I mean, among Christians. We of all people are are called to speak for those who have no voice Mm -hmm. and to help those who have no help. And who has less voice and is more helpless than an unborn child. Right. You know, how do you help people? I, I think I think there's a lot of Christians that look at this and say, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Like, okay, the 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 case is now before the Supreme Court, but I just can't even relate to Schumer at all. Why mm-hmm. why how why is this kind of thing manifesting itself in the public life yeah. of 21st century America? Why would you have a group of people hooting and hollering why one senator <laughs> threatens a couple Supreme Court justices about an abortion case? Yeah. Because connect the dots. Why, why do you get that kind of um, public appearance, outcry, passion, over the this particular issue. Well, it's exactly what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 when he strings together Old Testament passages primarily from the Psalms. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And then he concludes it in verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's it. We're living in a land that has been blessed by uh, God-fearing men and women in generations past who tried to live uh, with an awareness that they were created in God's image and that they ought to, to honor him and how they conduct their lives. And now we're 
generations away from where that was more current. And we have people who do not fear God. And if, if Christians don't recognize this, we can't make nice with that kind of worldview that comes from a mentality where there's no fear of God because that is exactly what makes them swift to murder unborn babies. That's exactly what Romans 3 mm-hmm. says. So either we're going to believe the Bible and wake up and recognize, okay, the Bible explains what's going on here in our culture and then stand firm on the way the Bible sets forth the answer for this. Mm-hmm. The answer is a crucified, risen Savior, and that's the only hope this nation has. And we cannot afford to try to play nice with people who are increasingly calling us to join them in not fearing God. Yeah. You know, boy, I think John the Baptist, you can't have her. Yeah. You can't have her. That's what he said. And he paid the price. That's right. And so you have Schumer actually saying very true words. What came out of his mouth, you know, out of the, out of the, uh, it's from the heart that the mouth speaks. And so this is the case. This issue of abortion is so um, religiously motivated yeah. that if you touch upon it, you, this is the kind of thing that you're going to get. No, you cannot touch. That is a golden calf right. that you cannot go after. And if you do go after it, even if you try to say, hey, we just want to make sure that you're getting it done in a medical way that protects uh, the woman that is doing this kind of uh, procedure. Uh, no, even if you put any kind of limits, yeah. right? So uh, on over here, what we have is saying, you, you, you know, back in the day, we've talked about the freedom of religion, free, free, for the full exercise of religion versus the freedom of worship. Well, you can keep it within your own four walls. Right. No, no, no. You can't live that way. You're going to yeah. limit something, and you're not going to limit our right to abortion. That's right. You're not going to limit our religious exercise over here, yeah. or you're going to pay the price. And what you said earlier is true. We really do have to be willing to pay that price. Amen. Uh, Jesus paid it. John the Baptist paid it. The apostles yeah. paid it. The martyrs all throughout church history have paid it. And we should be willing to pay it as well and not be duped into thinking, well, just because it's some kind of public shame or something like that, that it's that it's not what they experience. No, yeah, you're in a line of a lot of good people. Amen. And, you know, <laughs> Bob Dylan said it, you got to serve somebody. And what we see going on is increasingly the, the masks being pulled off and the curtain being pulled back on the gods of this age and those who worship them. Mm. And Christians need to stand firm and say, we're not going to bow down to your gods. We have a God in heaven who gave his son, the Lord Jesus, to save sinners like us. Our life is hidden in his, and we are secure in him, and we're going to stand and proclaim his lordship, his kingship over every square inch of this world that he created. And let the consequences come, be whatever they may. Amen, man. So what would you do if you were in Chuck Schumer's territory? You were there right in New York, even in New York City. So you're in New York, New York. What would you do if you're a Christian and you're a pastor and you got a church and you're going to try to see a church planted mm-hmm. in that area? We're about to have a conversation with Andy Woodward, who's right there preaching Christ. Amen. And it's uh, worth hearing how God has stirred him up with deep conviction about how a church is to function in the heart of New York City. We need to be biblically driven on everything that we're doing. The Word of God needs to be the standard by which we're leading our churches, the standard by which we're building our churches, and that hasn't been the case. I think if there's any judgment upon the church today is we're reaping what we have sown. 
And rather than building on what we inherited from this resurgence, which I thank God for, and building on that and continuing to build our churches on the foundation of God's Word, we began to drift in so many areas, in so many ways. I believe that we have not been the salt and the light in our culture that we need to be. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trial. Here in our second segment, we are excited about having Andy Woodward with us. Andy is lead pastor at New Covenant Church in New York City. Andy, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me on your program. Hey, Andy, how long have you been in New York City? Um, I first moved here in 2014, and I served with a church revitalization for two years. Um, then I left the city, went back to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and then finished my MDiv and moved back to the city a second time. And I've been here for two and a half, almost three years now in round two. So where's home for you? I grew up in Central Florida, about an hour north of Tampa in a town called Dade City. Ah, very there good. You know. We know about Central Florida. Yeah. I grew up in Central Florida, too. <laughs> I'm about an hour south of yeah. Orlando, though. So how far are you from Orlando in, in Dade City? Um, hour, hour and a half um, west. On the coast? Um, nope. Still about 45 minutes from the coast. Okay. So, Andy, uh, we wanted to... Highway 301. Ah, Very nice. Well, we wanted to have you on because we met uh, in Atlanta. I don't know how long ago that was. Earlier this year, I think. Was that January, February? Yeah, January. And we were talking about concerns that we see in the world and concerns that we see even that are encroaching into the church. And then you said, hey, I'm a pastor in New York City. I said, man, New York City. I, I, I... I uh, have a warm place in my heart for New York City. I'm just still fascinated by mm. the city. I don't know that Tom ever wants to go there, but hey, but <laughs> I, I spent a week in New York City one day. <laughs> he, he's a uh, he's a Texan, you know. He doesn't want to go there, but I, I'm still fascinated by the big buildings. You know, all those tower towers of Babel up there. I'm like, boy, look at these things. These you know, so I cool. had to I had to fly. I flew into Lagordia one time and had to fly out of JFK. And so, oh, wow. yeah, a friend actually <laughs> met me. It's one of the social media was just getting going. And, and so I put it out there and some guy that is a friend who on social media picked me up at the airport and drove me through the city uh, to get to the next airport. And that's, that's the extent of my exposure to uh, New York city. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Tom's wow. got a little connection with Jonah when it comes to <laughs> Nineveh, Nineveh city. Um, yeah, they might repent. Why should I go? Yeah, right? that's right. That's right. So, Andy, why in the world would you go? You're in Manhattan, right? Yeah. Why yeah, in the I'm world in Manhattan. would you go to New York City and plant a gospel preaching church? Um, well, it, I, I'm not quite at the level of Jonah, but I was definitely a reluctant church planner. Um, it wasn't my idea, and I didn't put me up to this either the first time or the second time. So, um, because I believe in um, sort of a robust historic Baptist ecclesiology. Uh, I was sent by my sending church to New York City in the first place. Mm. And the first time I was, I went, I was sent to New York. I was also called to New York uh, from the New York end by the church I would be working for. So the two churches kind of teamed up against me to, to send me to <laughs> Nineveh. And then the second time, um, Again, I had a sending church, um, my home church in Florida. They, they voted unanimously, 100%. Even a, a Baptist church had a 100% vote. Um, <laughs> They're probably not they, real Baptist. <laughs> yeah. They, they sent me to New York to plant this church, and I had a, a small group 
a handful of people in New York calling me to come be the pastor and start start this church. So did you go from your church either time or both times uh, by yourself or, I mean, just you and your family or were there others that yeah, were with so, you? So um, I'm, I'm unmarried. Um, haven't been married ever yet, but um, the first time was, was right out of college, right after I finished a master's degree in mission. Mm. I went to Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, did a bachelor's and master's there. And then my college church was the initial one that sent me because I'd, I'd been a member of that church for uh, several years. And so they sent me up um, alone to work at a, an existing church that had a staff and um, a bunch of people attending that church. So it was like I was walking into an existing situation, whereas um, when I was sent by my home church that I'd grown up in for you know, my entire life, um, for my second time being sent to New York, um, they sent my brother as well. So the two of us went, and um, so I wasn't going in alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also had that handful of people waiting for me in New York. Eddie, one of the things that we talked about when we met was the, um, I, I think I referenced this, how I've been fascinated to watch over probably the last 15 years, there be this kind of great movement, especially within like the Young Restless and Reform movement, maybe the New Calvinism movement of the idea of going to a city, you know, church planning, there are a lot of church planning books that became mm-hmm. very popular to do. There are a lot of videos of guys in cities talking about, you know, redeeming the city and then you got chris tomlin's song you're the god of this city we'd go play that and we'd go out and what it seems to me has happened is many of those guys have gone out in into um the world into the city as we are to do but they went out and it's like they weren't i don't know they weren't prepared they weren't grounded enough and they really just drifted from faithful mm-hmm. ministry, given the kind of rampant yeah. secular humanism that's around us just the air that we're all breathing and so i kind of see them mm-hmm. being thrown off course in that way and here when i met you and found out you're really in the heart you're right in the hotbed of secular humanism new york city what's it been like uh what what kind of challenges have you faced what's it been like to go right into kind of the belly of the beast uh with the word of god and it sounds like to me you haven't been knocked off course so just paint a picture for us of what that experience has been like yeah um just to give context i live 10 blocks south of the empire state building and about well, the Empire State Building is at 34th and 5th Avenue, 34th Street, and I live at 26th Street and 3rd Avenue, so I'm really, like, you know, a 10-minute walk from the Empire State Building. So it's right in the middle of the city, and um, it's over the last, basically, six years of being in the city, um, I've seen a lot of guys um, really fall into the siren song of the city, Mm-hmm. Um, church planners that have become more and more and more postmodern. They've become more and more secular in their thinking. Um, I've seen solid guys with MDivs and PhDs from Southern Seminary lose their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen church planning families where the, the marriage dissolves and they separate and get divorces because uh, the wife says, I don't want to be a pastor's wife anymore and I'm, I'm not sure I want to be a Christian. Um, I've seen multiple situations like that over these last six years. And it's, it's made me only more convinced to go the opposite way instead of adopting pragmatic and postmodern philosophies and ministries that you do read in this, this popular book. Um, 
instead to dig deep into uh, a more robust, historic, um, doctrinally grounded version of Christianity instead of instead of trying to water it down and go light. Um, there's a very popular movement that I would call an Apostles' Creed only type of Christianity. Mm. That um, the the big names here in New York City are are promoting and planting. Um, Redeemer City to City is nearly every church they plant is Apostles' Creed only. Um, in those churches, you've got um, Protestants and Catholics and uh, all kinds of people among the among the in the congregation yeah. and the. I would say members, but most of those churches don't have membership. So they're just sitting there in the pews, very confused. And while the pastors probably went to evangelical seminaries, there's just no clarity from the pulpit. It's all seeker-sensitive, pragmatic um, attractionalism without any sort of backbone or grounding. So when I've seen that more and more and more, um, it caused me to go the opposite direction in the beginning. And now as I've seen it even more, it's motivated me to preach more strongly um, and not just be an 11th commandment guy who's like, don't say anything bad about anything bad. Just just go with the flow and smile and nod. Mm. So Andy, can you, uh, can you give us, you don't have to give me specifics about any particular person, but can you give mm-hmm. us just your observations, your assessment of, of how that um, pathway is lined when, good guys who have been mm. theologically trained at good seminaries just seem to be knocked off course and led down pathways to apostasy. Have you, yeah. When you say how that, how that course is lined, you mean like what step one, step two? Yeah, step that's three right. Is? I mean, if, if you've, if you've thought yeah. about that and could uh, maybe illustrate it for us. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, the, the gateway drug to apostasy for church planners in New York city is, to go get a second round of church planning training through an organization here in the city that I just mentioned. Um, Cause that, that causes them to become very postmodern in their thinking. Um, one of the key ideas is this idea of uh, theological vision. So you as a church planner are supposed to cultivate a unique theological vision as though the Bible doesn't speak directly about theology and the church and the mission of the church. So each church then is designed according to this, um, this, this mold, each church is supposed to have a unique theology, a a unique philosophy where like, we're going to recreate the church for this unique context. Mm. And I think that's very, very dangerous. And I think it's, it's clearly a gateway drug to postmodernism and the church is, no, yeah. So, so it's like okay, we're facing a new situation today here in New York City. So we're going to have to do things differently. Is that uh, yeah, fair? yeah? And and it's it's a, um, I mean, somebody one of one of the local guys uh, used the um, the term golden calf. I think he was talking about um, like reformed theology being the golden calf of church planners. And I was like, I don't think so. I think the golden calf of church planners up here is contextualization in the, in the name of context. And I'm, I have two master's degrees in the theology, so I'm not speaking out of ignorance here. Right. Um, the golden calf of contextual of, of church planners up here is contextualization. So they think that from neighborhood to neighborhood, you have to redesign the church 
with some sort of unique philosophy to reach the city. And I just don't think that's true. I think the Bible clearly tells us what a church is, what the mission of the church is, and how a church grows. And it's primarily through preaching the gospel. So, it's, so, so Andy, if um, I jump in, I, I hear you saying that, and I'm, I'm hearing voices. <clears throat> you know, I'm hearing people saying, my goodness, what a, what a leap this is. These guys are just sitting here saying, if I just work a little bit on contextualization, right, and trying to know my audience, then I might end up an apostate. I could hear them saying that. Um, connect the dots for us there why is it that and i know that you're not saying nor are we that every person that thinks a little bit about their context is going to become an apostate but you there we're, we're drawing um a line here and things that you've seen and experienced i've seen the same here you don't have to be in new york to see kind of that drift happen um why is it that that an attempt to have a theological vision or to kind of contextualize God's word or the gospel to a certain people. What is so uh, dangerous about that move? Um, I think, I think what ends up happening, and I, I'm not saying contextualization shouldn't happen because it, it needs to happen. It inevitably does but happen. What, yeah, it, it does happen. But you see the Apostle Paul using contextualization to make the gospel more clear mm-hmm. instead of less clear. Right. And I think church planners up here use contextualization to make the gospel more palatable to people who hate God. Mm. And what you see in the New Testament is when the Apostle Paul contextualizes, the people pick up rocks to throw at him <laughs> because they understood what that's he right. said. Yeah. And that's, that's the point of it. The point of it is to be understood. Yeah. And so, yes, we learn the local language, and we, we learn the dialects. We learn the things we go to where the people— like, my church meets in a, in a fitness studio. Some people would consider that contextualization. That's not. That's just—that's that's a decision to find a space, and we found a space, and we can meet there. But we have a normal biblical ecclesiology in our service structure, and we preach the Word, and we pray, and we sing, and we administer the ordinances, and we, we just do— basic biblical church now it happens to be in a room with a mirror on the one wall and the other wall is all black and it's got a rubber floor but that's not for the sake of yeah of, you know missiology that's just a practical thing we need space to meet so andy what um, uh, if you had to just give one piece of advice like you know here is an anchor that every church planter mm-hmm. going into a very secular situation or uh maybe a different religious and antagonistic situation. Here's one anchor that you would encourage them mm. to make sure they do not let go of. What would that be? Um, I'd say Christ builds his church and the preaching of Christ builds his church. Mm. Amen. Amen to that, man. Andy, it's been such an encouragement to hear you uh, talk about your work there in New York City to acknowledge the challenges that are there, the dangers that are there. But then praise God that he's helped you to be faithful for as long as you have been there. And we'll be praying for you that God would continue to strengthen you, that you would indeed preach Christ and trust Christ to build his church. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Soul in the Trial. Thanks, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me on. God has told us how to live well in his world. To do so, we must live in keeping with his design. Our fundamental problem is that we have shattered his design by our own rebellion against him. We do not have the righteousness that he requires. We cannot afford to pay the penalty that our sin has incurred. Our only hope is his sovereign grace. 
Our only hope is that grace that is exclusively revealed in Jesus Christ. If we're going to be reconciled to God, we must do so on His terms. What He says, according to what He has revealed. That is, we must come to Him by turning from sin, renouncing self, trusting Christ as Lord, bowing to Him, receiving the righteousness that He earned, taking by grace the payment He made for our sin. We must submit to what God says and by faith in Christ commit ourselves to His ways. Hey, welcome back to the Sword in the Trial. Man, what a good conversation with yeah. Andy. I remember when I met him, I just thought, he's young. I don't he know. Really I, don't, I didn't ask him how old he was. Doesn't look like he's old enough to have two masters, yeah. does he? <laughs> he looked really Started when he was 12. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I was so encouraged to hear about him right there, you know, because the whole nation is just full of the secular humanism stuff. So we just bring right. this stuff in all the time. I, I re- feel like I reference... Uh, David Wells, it's no place for truth, you know, about every other day still. I need to go back and read it again. It's been a long time. But as I started talking to him, I realized here's a guy that's actually grounded in the word that is right there in, in the heart of it all. Mm-hmm. And, and the testimonies of hearing how people drift. I really think there's there, people are going to object to that. They're going to say, you know, there's no way that just trying to try to be mindful of my hearers. Yeah. is is um and I think it's right there where I want to drill down and help people see. I mean, he made a great point. Well, are you preaching in such a way that's clarifying, right? Or are you actually covering up? Yeah, are you? Yeah, contextualization, biblically speaking, in First Corinthians nine, Paul's uh, uh, examples there is to make things accessible to people, mm-hmm. make the gospel accessible to people. It's not to make the gospel more palatable right. to people, and we see that going on all the time today. It's right. it, I'm, there. I'm thinking of. Two articles. There was a recent article in Christianity Today on polyamory, the coming uh-huh. wave, how pastorally we need to deal with it. And you read that and you think, oh, at the end it says, oh, yeah, you know, this is wrong and they need to repent. But it right. was, look at all the good things in polyamory. Right. You need to affirm that in people. And then the ERLC published an article about uh, abortion. You know, we don't need memes and loud voices shouting about abortion because the women that undergo abortion, you know, there's so much trauma and difficulty with them. And, and, need to be compassionate. Well, amen. You need to be compassionate. But I get the impression that what is behind a lot of this thinking is we want to be liked. We want to be nice. Mm. We want to come across as those who uh, who really aren't proclaiming a God who hates sin, who sends right. sinners to hell if they don't repent and trust the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. This thing is so tricky, man. It's tricky because, you know, here I'm just trying to become it's, all things to all it's people. Tricky. I'm just trying. It is tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to become all things to all people. Um, I'm trying to let my light shine before men so that they see my good deeds and praise my Father in heaven. You got all these texts, you know, and I feel like they're being jammed down into this, the, the way that we have been th- taught to think. And you just, if you just keep going back to what they did to our Savior, yeah. what did yeah. they do to him? They, they nailed him to a cross. Mm-hmm. They nailed him to a cross because, because they despised what he was saying. And he said, blessed are you. And then people revile you and utter all kinds of evil things against you on my account because so they treated the prophets. Mm-hmm. And so you got old Testament 
You got Christ himself, and then you've got the apostles in the New Testament. What happened to them? They went into the city. They preached Christ. They had people throw stuff at them, and and then some people were saved. Got their heads taken off their shoulders. So three yards in a cloud of dust evangelism. Three yards in a cloud of dust church planting. This is this is it's laid out to us in the scripture. So why why is that? not being recognized. Why do you have these articles like this on the ERLC that are actually accepted? Why why do why are they so tasty to us right now in our context? Well, I think there's several things going on. Number one, I think we're being intimidated by the culture into stay uh, further and further away from what the culture wants to dictate as right and good and true and acceptable. And so to the degree that you cave into that intimidation, then you're going to try to adopt the culture's language and the culture's mores and, and how you talk about things of eternal significance. How are they intimidating us? Oh, by saying you, you, you're exclusive. You know, that's bigoted. That's hate speech. How dare you say that there's only one way to God? I mean, all kinds of things like binary that. binary. Kind of yeah, yeah, this whole deal. And so that's going on. But I think, too, uh, we do have examples uh, in the name of Christ of stupid things being done, of people coming across looking like they're glorying in the idea of people going to hell, glorying in the idea of making people mad, you know, and, and thinking that they're really doing the work for profit by just simply being jerks. And so we don't want to do that. That's certainly true. But then we think somehow if we can make people like us or if we can just show that, hey, man, we're not like those guys, that there will be this uh, opportunity then to communicate the gospel to them. Yeah, so there's not there's like two things going on with wanting to be liked. One is just the personal seeking the glory that comes from man, mm-hmm. right? You have that whole dynamic where you just have to, you have to kill that. You have to die to that. But then you also have this other, well, <clears throat> it's not really – directly sinful for me to want to be like what I'm, what I want to do is I want to be like, so I get a platform to then share the message with them. Right. right? So I need to win an audience. I remember way back in the day, um, hearing guys say you need to build, build, build relationships that are strong enough to bear the weight of truth. Right. Sounds really good. I mean, and there's a kernel of truth in right, that. Right. But when the idea is, I'm, well, I'm going to go there and I have to be liked by the LGBTQ community right. before I'm able to speak the truth to them. What's happening there is you're, you're transgressing the principle that Andy said just right. It's Christ who builds the church. That's right. And, and a man, a man drifts. So he, it's right there at that point where he's actually, it's, it's a lack of faith. He's not trusting Christ. That's right. To build the church, but he's beginning to manufacture it. He's it's, you're adopting secular humanism. I build this, I put the pieces together and I get it just right. And then we went, then we have a goal, you know, and then I tee up the next thing on my Sega or my PlayStation, you know, and I, I get all the pieces right. And then the next thing happens. That's not the way it works. No, it's, you're standing right there on the edge. You're looking at dry bones. There's dry bones there. And God asks, can the dry bones live? And Preach, preach yeah. to the bones. Just preach Christ and trust Christ that He will bring life. Yeah, this uh, I, I, this whole play that we see going on that is taking people in bad directions who think that they're serving Christ as they go those bad directions is effective because I believe God's people, in many respects, have lost confidence in God's word. I think Second Timothy three 
And the first few verses of chapter 4 are so absolutely relevant for us today in this issue. Because we think, oh man, it's secular. It's not, it's not the way it was in the 50s. It's not the way it was in the 19th century in America. Therefore, we have to do things differently. And you read 2 Timothy 3, and Paul describes, hey, Timothy, the, di- the days are coming when people will be slanderous. They will be uh, unappeasable. They will be disobedient to parents. They'll be arrogant, abusive, proud. He goes on and on and on and on. And then he says, here's what you are to do. Mm-hmm. You are to continue in the word, which you've been taught from a child, because it is the scriptures that are able to make you wise into salvation. So personally, we have got to maintain a submissiveness to the word of God as the very um, revelation of God's will for us and stand there. And then secondly, he goes on at the end of chapter three and describes the uh, authority of God's word. It's breathed out. And so because it's breathed out, it is profitable. So we have to believe in the profitability of God's word to train us in righteousness, to correct us, to rebuke, rebuke us, to equip the man of God for every good work. And then he follows that up in chapter four with, therefore, preach the word. Mm-hmm. And I get the impression because he says the time will come when people won't put up with sound doctrine. So you think of Timothy. He's in this culture that's getting increasingly worse outside it's coming into the church people don't want to hear the gospel and he says paul what do i do he says we'll preach the word well paul you don't understand they don't want the word what do i do preach the word mm-hmm. but they don't they're not going to like me if i don't if i preach or well, then preach the word mm-hmm. there's no plan b yeah and, and the beauty is and, and and when you obey god preach the word you're going to find out that they like the word preach the word you're going to find out that they like you and they thank you for coming to yeah, them, the, the message who, of salvation. And so when you think about this, the, 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 you're, if you're there in Manhattan, like Andy, they're starving. They're mm-hmm. starving. They're dying. They're sick. They, you, precious are the feet of those who bring good news. Mm-hmm. How precious are the feet? It's like you've got the, you've got the message of life. Yeah. And you're going to go, we're going to use all these resources to send you to Nineveh, to send you to the, to the belly of the beast, and you're going to start doing what they do? You're going to start approaching it the way they do? The people are hungry. Yeah. You're, supposed to, you're supposed to have courage. You're supposed to say, yes, you do know something they don't know. Yeah. That, that's the, that's, no, 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 I can never say that. If I ever say that, I'm going to be hated. Well, yeah. They, that, Paul was hated when he went to Thessalonica, and he said that. that yeah, I know something you don't know, and I'm here to tell you. know, You don't say it kindly and all that. Yeah. But, but I'm speaking to, to the brothers and sisters who would be tempted right now to forsake this look at what you have you have the very message of life and they desperately need it and god's the one who turns the lights on and you're there to feed them you know yeah it's just it's when you're thinking it with the mind and the heart of faith you see what's happening i'm so that's why i'm so glad andy's there yeah because there's it there is a strong tendency to say ah oh, the world's going down you know, I'm not, we're not going to be able to win New York City. Well, you're definitely not going to win New York City in a week. Yeah, okay? and, and, and not without the gospel. You know, it's going to have to be the gospel that has been revealed. And I think about, I'm sure Andy has, has days of discouragement. Any Christian does, any pastor does, any church does. But remember Paul in Corinth when he was discouraged and Jesus came to him and spoke to him and says, you keep preaching because I have many people in the city. I don't expect visions like that to come to us today, but what I do take from that is wherever God sends his gospel, we ought to anticipate he has many people that he intends to be saved by that gospel. And so, man, Andy, I would say to you, the Lord has many people in this city 
there, his elect there, preach the gospel and be faithful and call people to turn from sin and trust Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the very truth you have to lay hold of by faith if you're going to be a faithful minister in that time. And when you lose sight of that, when you really lose sight of that, this is God's world that he has sent us to proclaim Christ, that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And if I watch the progression of the book of Acts, it was farther up and farther in all the way. And so, no, I'm not going out here Pollyanna style saying that every single person that's walking today in New York City is going to bow the knee to Jesus when I preach here in my little gymnasium or whatever it is that he's... No, 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 no. But you're laying hold by faith that Christ is indeed king of the whole earth, including Manhattan, and every knee needs to bow to him. And you're going to preach that message to them, and he's in the business of turning lights on. That's right. He's in the business of giving new life. And my goodness, when you when you do it that way, you say, what a silly thing it is that I'm going to go over here and try to manufacture this thing. You know, I know better than God. Yeah. I know what I need to do. I need to kind of I need to kind of find a way to navigate and create my own theological vision of what's going on. That's just silliness. It, it, yeah, it's crazy. And it misunderstands the way the gospel works as it's revealed to us in the book of Acts, because you, you think not not every person is going to become a Christian, though we want that. And not every person who's going to become a Christian is going to become a Christian the first time that we try to persuade them to become a Christian. I mean, there was Saul uh, attending to those who were stoning Stephen. There was Saul going house to house to arrest people so that they could be handed over to be executed. And no telling how many times he heard the gospel before the Lord saved him and turned him into a great apostle. And so, I mean, you just think if Stephen had adopted uh, some of the mindset we see today. Mm. You know, he would never have been stoned. And and that's what we need to be prepared for. I, I just think in America, the version of Christianity that has been uh, gaining prominence for generations now, um, it's soft. And it doesn't understand that the gospel sometimes advances by the preachers of the gospel being beheaded and being stoned mm. and being willing to uh, go out, do your best, and be taken out so that somebody else can come and stand on the ground that you've recovered or you've covered to make Christ known. Amen. That's the pattern, right? It's what happened it to is. our Savior. We yeah. fill up his sufferings well, by we, our own sufferings. We won by his crucifixion. Amen. It's a place of victory. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial. Pray for Andy Woodward right there in the heart of New York City. And take courage as we labor on. A project called Wield the Sword is one that we're doing that really has everything to do with what we've been talking about today. How do you go out into the world and actually take God's word and wield it? Not just talk about wielding it, not just believe that it can be wielded, but to actually put it to work. And so we have a number of those projects that are getting lined up right now. You can go to founders.org and read more about that work. You can support that work. Please be praying for us Mm -hmm. as we seek to produce these various episodes on a number of topics, how we are to live in God's world. And thank you to those of you who have become Founders Alliance members. Uh, We could not do what we do without your support. And for those churches that have come on board to support Founders as Founders Alliance churches, we want to thank you too. Uh, We want to supply you with content and material that we think will be useful for your ministries, for your private life. And so you can access that as a Founders Alliance member, Founders Alliance Church in the Founders Armory. So thanks again for being with us today.